Greetings, friends, and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. In this podcast, we're working our way through the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, picking out some particular sermons preached by this man gifted by God to make Christ known. We want to learn more of Christ. We want to learn better what it is to preach Christ. We want to be able to pray for and encourage pastors and preachers to be more effective at holding up the Lord Jesus Christ in all his saving glory. This week we've been reading through sermons 31 to 37, which are in the New Park Street Pulpit, Volume 1, and we're focusing today on Sermon 34. The title of this is simply Preach the Gospel, and it was delivered on the 5th of August 1855 at the New Park Street Chapel from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, which reads, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. In dealing with this text, Spurgeon dives straight into a consideration of the character of the Apostle Paul, a man who was great in everything, who was great as a sinner, in obviously the negative sense, but became great as a Christian, consecrated to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, great as an apostle, preeminent as the prince of preachers and a preacher to kings. It was, says Spurgeon, characteristic of Paul that whatever he did, he did with all his heart. Paul threw himself into the work that he had to do and God uh, sanctified that, God used that disposition once Saul had been saved from his sins to make him a man who was going to preach the gospel with necessity laid upon him. And Spurgeon then moves very quickly and very properly to the way in which these words can be applied to ministers in the present day. He's simply saying that the same kind of constraint under which the Apostle Paul operated is a similar constraint to the one under which preachers today operate. And he's going to ask three simple questions of this text. What is it to preach the gospel? Why does a minister have nothing to glory of in himself? And thirdly, what is that necessity and that woe of which it is written, necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel? Now, I hope you'll agree with me before we even get into the substance of Spurgeon's sermon that these are vital questions to ask and to answer because I don't know if there are many preachers today who would say that they are exemplary gospel preachers. And indeed, if your experience is anything like mine, sometimes when we perhaps hear someone who's meant to be preaching the gospel or we ask someone to come and preach the gospel, we're left scratching our heads sometimes as if to say, well, I'm not precisely sure either what that man thought he was doing or what he was actually doing. Now, we we accept and, and we sympathize with the men who fall short when they're aiming at the right target. But the question that we have is whether or not they even know the target at which they're supposed to be aiming. And so Spurgeon is going to help us identify this matter of gospel preaching. And actually, some of what he says may surprise you a little. And then he's going to come to the, the question of the, the minister in his ministry of this good news. So then, the first inquiry, what is it to preach the gospel? 
and Spurgeon's aware that different people might answer this differently, even among the people in front of him at that time. And so he's going to offer some of his own suggestions and he's going to try and ground them in the word of God. So he's going to give a number of answers to this question. Now, these are not contradictory answers. They stand together. They hold together. The first of them is that to preach the gospel is to state every doctrine contained in God's word and to give every truth its proper prominence. This is very insightful because too often gospel preaching is reduced to what you might call Calvary sermons. Now, we know that Spurgeon is a Calvary preacher par excellence. The uh, the sermon that we looked at, I think, just last week was one that he called a salvation text, and he delighted to preach a sermon from a text that it seemed to be divinely designed to bring in sinners. And yet his point is that the whole gospel, the whole Bible, must be preached in its proper place and proportion and relation. You cannot knowingly and intentionally leave out one single truth of the blessed God and call yourself a gospel preacher. Now, he's clearly not saying that every sermon must contain every doctrine, but you must preach the whole counsel of God. Whatever is written in God's word, he says, is written for our instruction and the whole of it is profitable, either for reproof or for consolation or for edification in righteousness. No truth of God's word ought to be withheld, but every portion of it preached in its own proper order. So I do not have the liberty and neither does any other so-called preacher of the gospel to say that this or that part of God's word is something that I cannot, should not, or will not preach. And so he says, it's wrong for someone to confine themselves on purpose to four or five topics continually, just to, to ride the same uh, horse, to, to, to thrash the same thing to death over and over again, to avoid things that you don't like or don't think that ought to be there. It's, it's a travesty. But beyond that, to preach the gospel, the second answer to that question is to exalt Jesus Christ. And perhaps in this sense, now we're narrowing in, we're zeroing in on what you might call the gospel proper. And Spurgeon himself says, this is the best answer perhaps that I could give. It is to hold up Christ and him crucified as the saviour of sinners. If someone were to come to him and ask, what must I do to be saved? Spurgeon responds, Christ must save you. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would neither direct a prayer, nor reading of the scriptures, nor attending God's house, but simply direct to faith, naked faith on God's gospel. He's not despising or dismissing those other things, but it is Christ who saves. It's it's Christ and Christ alone who must be proclaimed and Spurgeon will not afford any man the title of a gospel minister if he preaches anything but faith in Christ for salvation. 
He desires and delights in the preaching that magnifies Christ in his person, extols his divinity, loves his humanity, preaching that shows Christ as prophet, priest and king to his people, preaching whereby the Spirit manifests the Son of God unto his children, preaching that says, quoting his uh, conversion text, look unto him and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, Calvary preaching, Calvary theology, Calvary books, Calvary sermons. These are the things we want. And in proportion as we have Calvary exalted and Christ magnified, the gospel is preached in our midst. Now you see how these things blend together. To preach the gospel is to preach everything that God has made known in its proper place and proportion. And that does mean Calvary preaching. Calvary theology, Calvary books and Calvary sermons will be prominent because that is prominent in God's revelation. The whole scripture speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It directs us to him. It drives us towards him. It draws us to him. These then are the things that must be prominent as they are seen in the word of God. But there's a third answer to this question. To preach the gospel is to give every class of character his due. That is to preach to everybody who is before us. It is not just to preach to God's people, and it is not just to preach to those who are not God's people. The one who preaches only to the sinner and never to the saint, or only to the saint and never to the sinner, is not preaching the whole of the gospel. Let each have a portion of meat in due season, says Spurgeon. Not at every season, but due season. He who omits one class of character does not know how to preach. So he's uh, at least making this very broad distinction, and there are distinctions within the distinction, but preach to everyone, to the sinner and to the saint. And then lastly and very briefly, we're not just preaching about the gospel, not just preaching about the people, but to the people. We're not talking about what the gospel is, but we're preaching it, proclaiming it into the very heart and not by our own strength, but by the influence of the Holy Ghost. Not to talk as if we were discussing something with the angel Gabriel, but speaking man to man and pouring our heart into our fellow's heart. There's an earnestness that is very much a part of true gospel preaching, where the preacher knows and feels the weight of the realities with which he is dealing. And that brings Spurgeon to his second question, how is it then that ministers are not allowed to glory? When Paul says, I have nothing to glory in the preaching of the gospel. And he tells us, and it's sadly true, that the pulpit is shocking bad soil for pride. Pride grows terribly in the pulpit, and I scarcely know whether you ever find a preacher of the gospel who will not confess that he has the greatest temptation to pride. And he's speaking out of his own experience, talking about the uh, the great crowd that gathers to hear a man and how the great danger of pride increases then all the more. And that means that the, the people of God need to pray for their pastors They need to pray that they will be kept faithful in humility. Now, why is it that a preacher feels that he has nothing to glory of? What is it that keeps down his pride? The first thing, says Spurgeon, is his consciousness of his own imperfections. 
No man will ever form a more just opinion of himself than he who is called constantly and incessantly to preach. It's the agony of the pulpit that a man never leaves it thinking, I nailed it that time. I really sorted that out. Spurgeon talks about going to bed on Sabbath night on Sunday evening and just agonizing, tossing back and forth on your bed because you feel again that you've missed the mark in terms not just of the substance, but the very spirit in which the substance of the sermon was delivered. Now, in addition to that, God reminds us that all our gifts are borrowed, that uh, what we do, the stewardship with which we have is simply that if we are preachers. I want you to understand then that a faithful gospel minister is is not someone who necessarily loves to be up front and doing his thing. No, he's conscious that he's a failure even at his best. He is conscious that the gifts which he employs are given to him by God. And Spurgeon makes the point that the man from whom he learned most, humanly speaking, was actually at the time of preaching in an asylum. He had uh, suffered some kind of mental breakdown. And he says the life, the voice, the talent, the imagination, the eloquence, all are the gift of God. And he who has the greatest gifts must feel that unto God belong the shield of the mighty, for he has given might to his people and strength to his servants. Preachers preach conscious that their life might be taken away, that their brain might fail, that their voice might fail, that their uh, capacity might diminish, that their uh, stream of thought might simply dissipate into nothingness, unless God sustains giving and uh, sustaining the gifts for ministry, then they will accomplish nothing. But there's another answer to that question. God preserves his ministers from self-glory by making them feel their constant dependence upon the Holy Ghost. Uh, Spurgeon says no man who's really commissioned from on high will ever venture to preach, but he will feel that he needs the Spirit. And he speaks about a time preaching in Scotland when the the Spirit of God deserted him in the act of preaching, not from uh, as a Christian, but as uh, did not help him as he was used to. I could not speak as usually I have done. The chariot wheels were taken off and the chariot dragged very heavily along. And you might think that some would say, oh, it was the most embarrassing time. I, oh, I, I blotted it out of my memory. No, says Spurgeon, I have felt the benefit of that ever since. And any man who goes to preach the gospel will very quickly discover his absolute dependence upon the Holy Ghost. Unless the Spirit helps us, no one is touched, let alone saved or sanctified. And now the third question, the closing question. What is that necessity which is laid upon us to preach the gospel? Now, Spurgeon might go in any one of different directions at this point and talk about the the greatness of the gospel and the glory of God and the majesty of Christ and the excellence of the substance, but he's focusing on the language in the text, the necessity which is laid upon us to preach the gospel. And he's zeroing in really on the burden to preach of the man of God. And so he's just going to give two short answers to that question. The first is that a very great part of that necessity springs from the call itself. If a man, he says, be truly called of God to the ministry, I will defy him to withhold himself from it. 
a man who has really within him the inspiration of the Holy Ghost calling him to preach cannot help it. He must preach as fire within the bones, so will that influence be until it blazes forth. So this is the internal call, to use uh, the more technical expression. This is the inner burden. This is the sense of holy compulsion that grips a man when God is at work in him and on him by the Spirit, fitting him for the work of ministry and then giving him this desire, this appetite, this burden, so that he says with Jeremiah, the, the word was like a burning fire in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Now, Spurgeon, I don't think, is dismissing the external recognition of uh, that call. Uh, that comes up in, in other places where he's speaking, not least in some of his ministry to his college students. But here he's talking primarily about the felt obligation to make known the counsel of God specifically and particularly as it has to do with the salvation of sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon says that when a man does speak as the Spirit gives him utterance, he will feel a holy joy akin to heaven. And when it is over, he wishes to be at his work again and longs to be once more preaching. Any preacher who has known something of what it is to be carried up outside of himself, to feel a, uh, an eloquence which he doesn't possess, a, uh, a concentration which is in a sense, alien to him, a holy fluency, a, a feeling of intensity and earnestness that carries him outside of himself, you know that there's nothing like it and, and you mourn that you don't know it more and you, you only think that you've begun to begin to begin to preach when you've known something of that and then everything that is less than that feels even worse than it might have done before. And you, you preach in the prayerful hope and expectation that that will not just happen uh, now and again, but will become more and more characteristic of the ministry of God's word in whatever sphere or context. Spurgeon says, I do not think young men are called of God to any great work who preach once a week and think they have done their duty. I think if God has called a man, he will impel him to be more or less constantly at it and he will feel that he must preach among the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I've got to say that's one in the eye for so many in the, the modern evangelical scene who seem to imagine that one sermon a week is uh, more than they can properly manage and perhaps even more than they might be expected to deliver. Spurgeon's not decrying the investment that you make in a sermon. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily just talking about sermons in the more formal sense. But if you're a man called to preach, the idea of standing up once a week for 30 minutes to a congregation that uh, is going to listen and then walk away. That's anathema to you. There's got to be more to it than that. And you will find ways, whether you're preaching with a pen, uh, preaching in person, speaking to friends, to family, uh, writing, uh, recording, whatever it may be, you'll be wanting to make sure that that gospel gets out in as many ways as possible. But then there's the other side of this coin. 
The other side of the necessity is not just your own sense of a burden, but it's also <clears throat> the burden that you feel for those who are in this poor, fallen world. And Spurgeon simply wants you to, to stop and consider. O minister, bethink thyself that men are being damned each hour by thousands, and that each time thy pulse beats, another soul lifts up its eyes in hell, being in torments. If you want to know something of what this feels like, whether you're a preacher or not, go and stand in some great concourse, stand in a, a railway station at rush hour, or on a, on a street in a big city. And just think of this great stream of largely lost humanity that is flowing past you, most of them without a single thought of Christ, without any knowledge of God as he set forth in the scriptures, no appreciation or desire for salvation, no understanding of heaven or hell. And Spurgeon says, in effect, you know, put your ear to the gate of hell. Only let us have these things before our eyes, and we must preach. Only get a sense of eternity burned into our soul, and we cannot stop preaching. Let the sun stop shining, we'll preach in darkness. Let the waves stop their ebb and flow, and still our voice shall preach the gospel. Let the fiery, uh, let the planet, the world stop its revolutions, let the planet stay their motion, we will still preach the gospel between a sense of God's call upon us to preach and the need that this good news be proclaimed, Spurgeon says it is necessity and there is woe upon us if we preach not the gospel. This is our calling. This is our duty. Now, how does he conclude? My dear hearers, one word with you. And you might have thought, well, what have you been doing for the last however many minutes? But he's now driving it home. This is his usual practice. He'll often use these last few paragraphs of a sermon, these last few words to, to really hammer in the truth of the words that he has been speaking. And you almost have then application upon application. And Spurgeon's general discourse is more closely applied than the whole sermons of many people today. Spurgeon is not one of those who believes that you just leave things out there hanging and let the Holy Spirit do his work. No, Spurgeon believes that he's been called by the Spirit to bring this truth to bear and that that's the means that God will use uh, in the preaching of the gospel for salvation. He has these few choice words then to say to different characters in his congregation. And he's now doing what he's been talking about doing and doing already more particularly. He identifies, first of all, those who are guilty because they do not preach the gospel. Those who are sinning by neglecting the gifts that God has given to them. He's speaking to about 1,500 or 2,000 people and he says, surely I'm not the only one here who is qualified to preach the gospel. And we might say, as others have done, that they cannot preach the gospel like Spurgeon, but they can preach the gospel that Spurgeon preached. You may know men, you say, well, I can't preach better than him, but I have no better gospel to proclaim. And Spurgeon says, just make sure that you are properly qualified. 
He says, it's a known fact that men who have little to say will often keep on the longest. If he was chairing a group of people who are just trying themselves out, he'd probably say to some, speak to edification. I am sure you would not edify yourself and your wife. You'd better go and try that first. And if you cannot succeed, don't waste our precious time. So by all means, go if you're called, but do not go if not called. And if you haven't proven your gift in the right sense. Then he says, I cannot conceive but that there are some here this morning who are flowers wasting their sweetness in the desert air, gems of purest ray serene lying in the dark caverns of ocean's oblivion. He says this is a serious question. If there be any talent in the church at Park Street, let it be developed. If there be any preachers in my congregation, let them preach. And he wants the young men to go home and examine themselves to see what their abilities are. And if they find that they have any ability, then to try even in some poor humble room to tell to a dozen poor people what they must do to be saved. Now, Spurgeon is saying that not every man is going to stand up first in a, in a church building. He's not necessarily going to stand up in front of a hundred or a thousand people. He might be speaking to ten. And that's the place in which he's going to prove his appetite and his aptitude for the work. He says, I want to commence a movement from this place which shall reach others. I want to find some in my church, if it be possible, who will preach the gospel. And mark you, if you have talent and power, woe is unto you if you preach not the gospel. In other words, if you, if you imagine that your gifts are too great to be wasted on a few people in a, in a back street somewhere, if you think that you're too uh, gifted and too important to go and speak to a few aged saints in some out-of-the-way chapel or to take a Bible study in somebody's room, then you are not called. But if you're ready to preach then God would have you and God will use you. If he's formed you for the task, he will find a way into it. And you must go on that route. Speak to your pastors. Speak to your elders. Uh, do what you can to serve God. And then his last note. Oh, my friends, if it's woe unto us if we preach not the gospel, what is the woe unto you if you hear and receive not the gospel? If we have a burden to preach, then does not every sinner have a responsibility to hear and heed that the gospel of God may be a savour of life unto life and not of death unto death. This is From the Heart of Spurgeon with me, Jeremy Walker. I hope that today's podcast has been a blessing to your soul. If you would like to share that blessing with others, please leave us a review on your favourite podcast app, especially if you live outside the United States. It makes a genuine difference. Thanks very much for listening.